Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From MCIE. Every kid needs a plan A. Some kids need a plan B. The problem was when the plan B becomes the plan A. So plan A is that kids are in a peer grade-based cohort, K to 12. They have the same opportunities as everyone. If they're having a day, they need a break, they need to go for a walk, have a great time. The problem is, is that we don't tell them to come back. Hello and welcome to Season 8, Episode 2 of the Think Inclusive Podcast, presented by MCIE. I'm your host, Tim Viegas. From everyone at MCIE and Think Inclusive, a very happy Thanksgiving to all those listening and celebrating in the United States. As long as everything has gone to plan, this episode drops on Thanksgiving morning, perfect for those of you who like to listen to podcasts while cooking. I have fond memories of listening to true crime and music podcasts while I prepped for our Thanksgiving feast last year. Be safe and well, everyone. This podcast features conversations and commentary with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. Think Inclusive exists to build bridges between parents, educators, and disability rights advocates to promote inclusion for all students. That's right, y'all. All means all. To find out more about who we are and what we do, go to thinkinclusive.us, the official blog of MCIE, and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for joining us for our conversation with Shelley Moore, inclusive education consultant and presenter extraordinaire. We talk about what her path looked like to becoming a special education teacher and why she cares about inclusive education so much. Also, we discuss what the major differences between Canada's educational systems and the United States are regarding special education. And what is all this fuss about baked potatoes? 
and how do they relate to strategic planning for students in the classroom? But before we get to Shelley, when was the last time you visited thinkinclusive.us? You might notice that we are no longer using ads on our site, which is fantastic, but it also means that we receive no income. And here's where you can help. Your tax-deductible donation will help us expand our reach to people across the United States and the world to promote inclusion for all students. Did you know that just last month we reached over 8,000 page views just from India and the Philippines alone? Go to bit.ly slash mcie give to make your donation. Again, that's bit.ly slash mcie give to make your donation today. So stick around after the break, our interview with Shelly Moore. Hi there, my name is Shelly Moore and you are listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast. All right, fantastic. Uh, so Shelly Moore is from beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Shelly is a highly sought after teacher, researcher, speaker, and storyteller that has worked with school districts and community organizations throughout Canada and the United States. Her first book entitled One Without the Other was a follow-up to her TEDx talk called Under the Table. She is also the host of the widely popular and beloved five more minutes video series and companion podcast. Welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast, Shelly. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's been a long time coming, I feel like. We have been trying to set this up for years. I know. I know. Yes. One of the things that I haven't heard, you know, we we have seen all, you know, all of your videos and, uh, you know, have heard your stories. But one thing that I haven't really heard is your story of how you became a special educator. Oh. So... I would love to know your path to being a special ed teacher and why you even care about inclusive education. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, well, to answer that question, we have to go back in time a bit. So let's see here. So I grew up in Alberta, which is above Montana-ish, Idaho. And uh, let's see. So I kind of got to about grade two by just being cute. Do you know what I mean? If you're funny and you're cute and you're nice and you're kind and, you know, kind of well-behaved, you can kind of, like, drift through a little bit. But grade three became a little tricky because that's when I had to start, like, doing a lot of reading and writing, which was very, very difficult for me. So it was grade three was when I was diagnosed myself with having a learning disability. And uh, I just, from that point on, was just, like, schools, like, I'm not made for this. I'm not... I'm not made for school. And it just was a struggle. Like my poor mother, every single morning, it just was this big struggle. And if I think back, I come just kind of just like, it wasn't, it was like, it's so fascinating to, if I could go back in time and like talk to myself, because when I, when I thought about it, it was only school that was the problem. Like I never felt 
this way about any other part of my life. I had no problems playing outside. I had no problems with my family and friends. You know, it just was school. I just didn't feel like I fit in. And uh, so I was I was early pulled out, early pulled out and early um, recognized how much I hated it because I always felt like it happened during the most fun parts of the day. And um, it kind of all came to a head in grade seven because in grade seven, we go to junior high. It's probably similar, but we go from elementary to junior high school. And so um, this is the year that like I know that I'm a little disabled. Um, but this is the year that I also got a little chubby and the year that I also, you know, realized I was a little gay. It just wasn't the best combination um, for, for middle school <laughs> in a super conservative province. And so I was just really bullied really awfully. And it kind of just came to a head and I beat up my bully like I just was done like I was done I stopped going to school I was like grade seven dropout and um and I remember kind of like being in the principal's office and this is kind of before like kids were a part of conversations right and I remember sitting in the office and my mom comes out of the principal's office and so what I hear is I just don't think we can meet Shelly's needs in this building and I always kind of come back to that and I always think like how many parents hear that do you know what I mean? Like how many parents hear those words? And it was devastating for my mom. Like my mom was a single mom. She didn't know. She's like, well, what am I going to do with her? Do you know what I mean? She can't just like, I can't homeschool her. She can't just not go to school when she's 12. And, um, and so I was recommended to go to this kind of alternate, alternate site school. And I absolutely thrived there. It was um, cross-grade cohorts. It was the first time there was any type of inclusive setting, whereas I didn't feel like I was the only kid with a disability, right? Um, there were kids with intellectual disabilities there. Um, everything was inquiry-based, hands-on learning. Like, it just was like, all of a sudden, um, you know, it was the first, it was Canada's first, first Apple technology school. And so it was the first time I had access to technology, which was a game changer for me. And so like all of a sudden I go from absolutely hating school to wanting to be there every single second. And the reason why I feel like this is part of the story is because when I'm now 13 and my mom asks me, she's like, Shelly, like a few months and she's like, how do you like your new school? And I remember like in my 13 year old brain being like, oh, I love it. And she's like, but you've never liked school. Like, what is it about the school? And like the 13 year old self was just like, I don't know, whatever. It's just the best. But like, I do remember also saying to her, like, why did I have to go to any other school? You know, and looking back, I feel like that moment was pretty pivotal for me because if I people ask me, like, why does inclusion matter? And I go back to that moment and I'm just like, yeah, why did I have to go to any other school? But not only that, like, why did I have to fail so miserably and horribly to finally get to a place where my needs were actually met? And it kind of like links to this entire like medical model of education where not only did I have to fail in grade seven, I had to like experience crisis and trauma. And when I think about the kids, the things that kids are negotiating today, like school cannot also be a place of crisis and trauma. And so when I think about this, and if I think about kind of the big things that made that school meaningful, community, showing my learning in different ways, access to technology, flexibility, choice. And I'm like, why does that have to be an alternate school? <laughs> and mm -hmm. so this became the whole thing and I'm just like why isn't that just school for everybody like so why do kids have to fail why is it the the standard status quo what I experienced at this alternate school and why is that only designed for kids after they have 
completely dropped out of school and I'm just like it just didn't feel right and so when I went into special education I kind of went in with that in mind that idea of how do I like like work I wanted to work with kids with my kind of profile right kind of like those kids that have learning disabilities some behavior challenges um kind of just like that at-risk profile and see if we can meet their needs before they fail like that was kind of my whole thinking and where it kind of turned was this whole because like special education special education like if you are a trained special educator you get scooped up pretty fast you know in Mm -hmm. the education field and so when I first when I started working um I did work with kids with my profile, but it quickly turned into not just kids with my profile, but working with kids with intellectual disabilities. And that's where my path split into this. Oh, I've been thinking about this all wrong. It isn't the kids who are at risk we need to target. It's the kids with intellectual disabilities that we need to target. Because if we can make it work for them, everyone else will fall into place, which is where the bowling metaphor came from. And so it kind of was like this long convoluted journey of me struggling in school and leading into this wait a second wait a second who are we actually designing for and um and that's turned into this incredible career of trying to make this work better for more kids what do you think are the major differences between you know how y'all do it in bc or canada and how we do it in, in the u.s so so it's a good question because it is quite local here as well. So like mm. you guys have your states, we have our provinces and our education and education is, is a provincial mandate. Um, I think probably the biggest difference is that we're less standardized, right? Okay. And even across like Canada in general, BC is the least standardized. And it's interesting mm. because there's a strong correlation between BC also being the most inclusive. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in a standardized system, you know, in BC just last year, like we don't need, we don't have any standardized exams K to 12 anymore. Do you know what I mean? So things like this. And so what that allows for is a whole bunch more room and flexibility to focus on growth as opposed to these kind of like benchmark standards that are actually quite narrow. And in it, so your efforts can be less on let's achieve standard to let's help kids move between a standards based window. Right. And in the work that I've done across Canada, for sure, it's not like that everywhere, but even in terms of the standardization and the high stakes testing in Canada, even our highest isn't as isn't what you guys have to negotiate. And if I think about, you know, like I was interviewed for a magazine for the Canadian Down Syndrome, Down Syndrome Society, and they said, like, what do you think is, is one of the biggest barriers to inclusion? And I said, you know, a lot of people will say time money people but i actually think it's it's bigger than that like there's these kind of ableist infrastructures that still exist and in a standardized system where the underlying assumption is that everyone needs to be the same that goes Mm. directly against this idea of valuing and reaching diversity that includes ability Right. Mm. And so I think that there's a piece of that for sure. That being said, like we have a long ways to go. (laughs) I mean, like there's there's pockets of brilliance everywhere I've gone, whether that's Canada or America. And that comes from innovation. That comes from creativity. That comes from the vision often of leaders. Um, But at the same time, um, I think that there are we we navigate different barriers. But there's still barriers nonetheless. Does that kind of make sense? 
Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and, and you're right, that isn't a very common answer to that question. Uh, it's typically, yeah, time, resources, mindset. My, I hear mindset a lot, um, which are all barriers, of course. Um, but they're not deal but, breakers. Yeah, you yeah, know, that's like you true. You can have like two schools across the street from the other with the exact same resources, the exact same population, and one can be inclusive and the other one isn't, right? And mm-hmm. so, and this is kind of what I'm trying to communicate, especially now with like the anti-racism movement that's mm-hmm. kind of going across North America, which is very good, good where you realize that, of course, there's barriers, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. to anti-racism, but the, the ultimate barrier is the discrimination and the mindset that no resources can change so uh, i i just briefly i wanted to go back to something you said about inclusion inclusive education being more flexible than people think Um, because i run into this all the time i'm sure you do too the assumption that oh well um shelly believes that everyone should be in general education class regular classrooms 100 percent of the time no matter what okay here's 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 how i'm gonna explain this okay every kid needs a plan a some kids need a plan b okay Mm -hmm. the problem was when the plan b becomes the plan a okay so plan a is that kids are in a peer grade-based cohort k to 12 they have the same opportunities as everyone If they're having a day, they need a break, they need to go for a walk, have a great time. The problem is, is that we don't tell them to come back. The problem (laughs) isn't that kids leave, is that they never come back from their walks, from their therapeutic programs, from their reading. They don't come back. And so I'm just like, okay, I can appreciate that kids need breaks. But like, what if we, like, this this is what I tell people, I'm just like, if a kid is on your list, you need to start with them, you need to end with them, and you need to know where they're in in the middle. You need to know where they're going, why they're going, and when they're coming back. Whether that's for five minutes, whether that's for two days, whether that's for a year, because I feel like there's this whole, this kid doesn't fit, we're going to let them go, and then the conversation is over. And so like, I can totally appreciate that kids are going to have an off day. I totally get that. And so what I kind of think is, I can understand there might be multiple spaces for kids to be successful. The problem is that when being enrolled in a classroom with your grade like peers is not even plan B, it's plan Z, because we believe this readiness model. I'm not naive to think that nobody needs time to do something that explicitly meets the needs of a certain area, whether that's crisis, whether that's regulation. I mean, I hate saying reading because I just think it can be met another way, but I get it. It happens, right? That's not the problem. The problem is, is that people are just like, they're not ready, so they can't be there, A. Mm -hmm. If they are there and they leave, nothing, there's no question around why they're leaving, and so then they never go back, or that place where they go becomes the place they go to all the time now, right? And, and, and I think about like, this like a family, like your classroom with your peers is your family. Sometimes we go here, sometimes we go here, sometimes we're in groups, sometimes we're over here, but we start together, we end together every lesson, every day, every week, every year, because that's where you belong. And where kids' home base is, is where we're communicating they belong. Are we increasing the places where kids feel like they belong? 
or are we decreasing the places where kids feel like they belong and is their home base with their cohort period and if they're having a hard time with that cohort we need to support the cohort not the individual Mm -hmm. right and i know people want a black and white answer but i don't have one Uh, i'm okay with that okay (laughs) because it might be different (laughs) we have to be responsive (sighs) let's talk about do you want to talk about bowling and baked potatoes or are you done with that you know we can talk about let's talk about baked potatoes okay because i think that's a big part of the how that people have a question about okay let's talk about baked potatoes so tell shelly tell me about baked potatoes okay really quickly how i was taught to teach was this so i was secondary trained and so my kind of like um general education class that i taught was math eight okay and this is how i was taught to teach you get your curriculum, you make your plan, and then the kids show up and you teach them. But the assumption is that those kids are ready for that plan. <laughs> but we know not everyone, not everyone is where they should be. And some kids are beyond where they could be and all of these things. And, and so then we're just like, oh man, now I have to adapt and modify for all these kids. But as our classrooms get more diverse, there's this misunderstanding of workload that every kid who doesn't fit needs an individual plan, right? Which every time someone makes a new plan, the workload of a teacher increases exponentially. And so, you know, we make this like grade eight math plan, assuming it's the majority of kids, but in actuality, it's probably for less than half, right? And so then the big question is, well, how do we do this in a way that's manageable? And so when we actually look at a grade level plan, then the assumption is, well, then if they're at a grade two level, we need to make a grade two plan and a grade three plan. And I have to reteach K to seven. Again, too much work. That's too much work. And so what the baked potato is, is it's about it's called strategic planning, which is rather than reteaching K to seven, I'm going to make grade eight math accessible and challenging in one plan. Okay, and so what that looks at is it moves away from where kids should be to where kids are and where they could be. And so rather than looking at the average or where kids should be, you look at the range of where they are. You're going to capture the average within there, but then the assumption you're making is that you have a range instead of making the assumption that everyone is where they should be, right? Mm -hmm. And because Mm -hmm. you're designing for a range, you're creating a scaffold so more kids can actually move and get to grade level than actually relying on kind of a deficit-based retrofit practice of taking things away. So the metaphor that I use to explain this is a baked potato. And so I think, okay, so if we were to plan grade eight, not considering who's there, that's like saying every single one of my students are going to eat a fully loaded baked potato. And I can be really passionate about this and the students come in and I give them their potato. And then you realize that half your class aren't eating it because they don't eat meat. And another group of kids aren't eating it because they can't have dairy. And so then we have to get these EAs and support staff to come in and pick off the bacon bits and try and get the melted butter off this hot potato, which is impossible. But in the meantime, people are waiting. They're waiting for these retrofit supports. And Mm -hmm. in order to realize that the kids need that support, they have to show that they can't eat, right? And what would kids rather do than show that they can't do something? have challenging behavior. So these now the potatoes are being thrown around, okay? So the first thing to understand with the baked potato is that there's a better way to do it. Because mm-hmm. when you're looking at this, the goal is actually not to eat a fully loaded baked potato. The goal is to eat a baked potato, 
And if you can kind of zoom back and say this is the concept, you realize that there's an infinite amount of combinations of baked potatoes that you can design for without designing individual baked potatoes. And so then you have to start with not what kids can't do, but start with, well, what can everybody eat in a baked potato? The potato. It's the biggest. It's the most important concept. If that's all kids eat, they're going to be okay. They're getting enough food to move forward, right? It's the most important information. That's going to be enough for some kids. It's minimal, but it's enough. Um, the problem is if we assume that kids already have that A or B, we only serve the potato, Okay. So now we're going to, everyone's going to get the potato and now we're going to show everyone the combination, possible combinations of toppings. I'm going to teach everyone about bacon bits. I'm going to teach everyone about sour cream, teach everyone about butter and chili, all these options, which represent levels of complexity, right? So your, your, your potato or your concept is not simple. It's big. Like what is change, right? Who am I? And then your toppings are adding on complexity from the same goal. So it's not differentiation because you're not choosing. I'm only eating scallions, right? Everyone mm -hmm. starts with the potato. Some kids might have the potato and butter. Some kids might have the potato, butter, and sour cream. Kids will vary in complexity, but everyone will have enough. Everyone has the essential understanding. They have the big idea, enough to carry them forward. And so when I'm working through planning... Let's not plan for individual potatoes. Let's look at, in your math lesson, what's the most important information? It's still grade level, but it's essential and it's so important. And then we're going to be like, okay, well, how do we add on complexity from there? But here's the part that's important because I saw some like ability grouping starting to happen. Like the potatoes are over here and the cheese are over here. No, 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 no. Everyone gets the potato, <laughs> but everyone also <laughs> has to learn about all the toppings. So even if a kid doesn't eat meat, they still need to learn about bacon bits. And the joke is because they're going to learn that bacon bits have no meat in them. Do you know what I mean? They still need to learn about what's possible because that's the equity piece. That's the mm -hmm. high expectations piece. But then the agency piece is you decide what goes on your potato. As an educator, my job is to show you the options, not make those decisions for you. And so a big part of this inclusive conversation is we're in charge of the plan, but it's also starting to hand over control for kids to be in charge of their complexity and their goals that they're meeting. Uh, well, we're almost out of time. Let me, um, let me sign off before, oh, before I sign off, let's, can you just, uh, you know, share with everyone where they can find you and all that stuff? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very easy to find. Um, I am on all social media, so you can find me on Twitter at tweet some more. You can find me on Instagram at five more minutes, uh, five more minutes.com also has links to all the videos, all of the resources. Um, you can search five more minutes in the YouTube channel to see, to see the videos. Um, what else? I think between five more minutes and tweet some more, you're going to, you're going to find me very easy, very easy to find. Awesome. Or just type in awesome. Shelly Moore Bowling. Exactly. It'll come up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, send it to all your friends. Bye. <laughs> and buy your book, One Without the Other, which is fantastic. One Without the Other. And the next one is coming out in the spring called All for One. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay. Well, Shelly Moore, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thanks for having me. If you would like to hear the entire one-hour unedited recording of our conversation with Shelley Moore, it's easy to do. Become a Patreon subscriber. Here's what you missed. We talked about why Disabled Lives Matter, 
what the real barriers to inclusion are. The difference between scaffolding and differentiation. Baby Moore, where she really records those awesome videos. The top three most influential people in her life and what her special interest is. And spoilers, it is not indie music. Just go to patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast and select the one, five, or $10 per month tier and you will have access to Shelly's interview along with 10 hours of unfiltered interviews from past guests. Subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the Anchor app. And while you are there, give us a review so more people can find us. In fact, it's Thanksgiving. Tell your family about us and let them know that they can learn more about inclusive education listening to the Think Inclusive podcast. Have a question or comment? Email us at podcast at thinkinclusive.us. We love to know that you're listening. Thank you to patrons Tori D, Veronica E, and Kathleen T for their continued support of the podcast, as well as our $1 and $5 per month subscribers. Every little bit helps. This podcast is a production of MCIE, where we envision a society where neighborhood schools welcome all learners and create the foundation for inclusive communities. Learn more at mcie.org. Next month, we'll be producing a very special best of podcast. I've always wanted to do one of these. So make sure you look out in your podcast feed for that one. Thanks for your time and attention. Until next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.